so we are uh, starting off a Christmas series, four weeks long, called A Thrill of Hope. And um, I don't know how your Christmas, you know, for some people, they, it seems like Christmas falls into two camps for people, right? There was those people who boldly raised their hands that they're already done with their Christmas shopping and probably were done last Black Friday. So like it was like they're just a year ahead. Some of you are like, when are they going to start playing Christmas songs on the radio so I can listen to them 24 hours a day? And some of you are like, they've started already? Well, that's great. Okay, uh, well, anyway, and then, uh, and then some of you are like, when do they stop playing the Christmas songs, you know, All right? And, and, and a lot of that has to do with our family history. You know, if, if you're, uh, for some of us, of our family history, Christmas was not that great a time. Uh, it usually meant uh, financial pressure because it, you, you had to buy gifts that you couldn't afford or whatever. Maybe there was some addiction and that uh, Christmas or these types of holidays r- remind you of those particular things. But wherever you stand, uh, whether, whether this is a time of sorrow for you, maybe you lost somebody dear to you last Christmas and so all of those things um, kind of feel... Like they reopen old wounds, or maybe you're single and it's a reminder that all the parties are going to have couples and you're not there, or what have you. Uh, or you love it. Christmas gets you. <laughs> There's an answer for you, whether you can't stand it and you're super stressed out or you love it. There's an answer, and his name is Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is I want to backtrack right before the famous part of the Christmas story with Mary and Joseph and all that and go to another Christmas story that happened just months earlier. And uh, we're going to be looking at this couple that um, at first glance, if you've read their story, you might not think you can relate to them uh, because it, it was back 2,000 years ago, and, um, you know, he had a job that you'll probably never have and, and, and all that, and it was just a different time. But I think as we look at this story and see how God interacted with them and how they interacted with each other, that we'll see a lot of ourselves in there. And my, my biggest prayer, my prayer this week, was that you would leave here this morning um, with a couple of reminders and that we'll get to in a bit, but that if you are at a place right now for Christmas where this is a time of sorrow for you, that you would leave with hope. And so, uh, so um, that's, that's my goal for this morning. The story is about a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we're going to do something a little different. We're going to just go through that story this morning. And we're going to look at how does God speak to people? How did God speak to them? And, and more importantly, where must they have been when finally their prayer was answered? So we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in uh, verse 5. And uh, we'll get to you know, all the historical stuff about this as well. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And uh, so just to give you a little bit of historical background, um, this is coming at a time of great turmoil in, in Israel. And, and, and every so often there was these, this talk of a Messiah coming. 
And so, um, and it, a lot of times it would be an uprising and, and all this kind of stuff. And to get us connected with Zechariah and Elizabeth, you have to understand the political tension that was in the air. So right now, you, you, we're, we're in a political season right now with the uh, Democrats and Republicans r- running for uh, president. Um, so I made up this little um, campaign slogan for um, Hyrcanus II, make Judea great again. Um, he doesn't have quite Donald Trump's hair, but he might. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I, I, the reason I did this, and it wasn't funny for service either, um, was... <laughs> was because I wanted us to connect. There's no way for us to understand what it was like for Israel at this time. Because we've never been occupied. And we've never had stories that we could tell about when relatives of ours were occupied or when there was an uprising or when all the stuff was going down. And so um, this was in the Hasmonean period. And this guy uh, and Janus, this other Alexander Janus, were these two competing factions, okay? But here's the thing. Israel was promised 2,000 years prior that they were going to be a great nation. The promise came to, um, to Abraham. And basically it was this. Okay, a- Abraham and Sarah, you guys are going to have a baby. And not only that, you're going to have a lineage that has, is basically more than the stars in the sky, more than the sand of the seashore. And Israel is going to be a great nation. And all the nations around will be blessed because of her. That's the promise. And so you have all this history, and then you have King David, and he begins to conquer and do all this kind of stuff. And then you have David's son, Solomon, and it is the height of the kingdom. David's son, Solomon, is so sought after by the kings and queens around him that everybody knew who Israel was. Not only that, he was rich, and he had a lot of concubines, okay? He was a player, okay? Okay. Sorry, you heard that from me. But anyway, but that's, 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 that's Solomon. He, I mean, if you said I was from Israel, people would go, wow. And then Solomon, after Solomon, the wheels fall off. The, the, Israel gets uh, divided into two kingdoms. Sometimes they war. Some are attacked here and attacked there. Israel changes hands 25 times. Okay? And so right before we see Zechariah and Elizabeth, in 580 BC, okay, the Babylonians take over and they cart most people away or kill people. Then it's the Persian Empire. And then after the Persians, the Greeks. And then after the Greeks, the Romans. And it even gets worse. Because what happens is their whole um, system is this temple system. It's kind of a big deal, okay? And in 65 BC, Pompey the Great walks not only into Jerusalem with his armies to besiege it, but then he goes into the temple. And then not only into the temple, because the temple was was separated with these different things. You could come, everyone could come into the court of Gentiles. That was like the big part. That's where Jesus went Rambo in there and turned over everything. And then there was the court of women. Then there was the temple. And then there was the Holy of Holies. Pompey the Great waltzed into the Holy of Holies in the name of Jupiter, the god Jupiter, and basically said, my God's bigger than your God. And so when he turned around and walked out, There were some Jews that were like, what just happened? 
Like, how did that guy, that uncircumcised guy, walk into the Holy of Holies, basically look Yahweh in the face because that's where Yahweh lived, and he turns around and comes out and says, no big deal. So you can imagine now, that was 65 B.C., we're getting to 0 B.C. in a second. You can imagine the stories that were surrounded. And not only that, but you have this system, this religion, that once the Greeks took over and and everything started to be really more, uh, what would you say, intellectual, like sacrificing animals and all that religion seems a little backwards. Now we know more. And then the Romans take over and their roads and there's all this progress and all this kind of stuff. You can imagine what it would be like to be uh, a Jew during that time. You, you, it might feel like God. Where's God? Where's Yahweh in all this? Where has he been for hundreds of years? And here's the temptation. And this would be the temptation for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's a temptation for us today. When God is silent, sometimes it feels like he's absent. And so you, you might be coming to church this morning for Christmas season or whatever, and, and you're in a season of your life right now where God is silent. There's something you are trying to work out. There's a, um, a problem in the family. That maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your finances or whatever, and you're praying, and you're trying, and you're just like, you know what? And you might be at a place right now where you're just ready to give up. Have you ever been there? I've been there before, where I just feel like I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and it's like, do you even listen to my prayers? Well, this is where we catch Zechariah and Elizabeth, and if you're in that particular season of life this morning, I hope you hear from your Heavenly Father this morning, because you've got uh, Zechariah, and you've got Elizabeth, and here's what the Bible says about them. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Okay, so here's your homework assignment this week. Open up Leviticus and read it and think of what you'd have to do to do all that. Okay, because this is what the writer's talking about. It's those laws and decrees, not the New Testament ones where we get off the hook a little bit. It was the hard stuff, okay? And so go through that law and just think to yourself, Zechariah and Elizabeth did that. And not only that, they observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, if I introduced you to a couple who did everything blamelessly, Right? You would think, or at least maybe not, but I would be tempted to think that God would bless them, that, that, that everything would work out. I mean, isn't there something in all of us who kind of think, you know, if I, if I do the right thing, God's going to bless me? Now, there, there is a, a part of that, but maybe it looks like this for you. When something goes bad, don't you, isn't one of the first things you think of is, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, I knew I shouldn't have cussed at my boss in my mind. (laughs) Somebody was listening. Now I'm in trouble, right? There's just this thing that that happens with us. They were not that. They were blameless. So you would think that if anything was going to happen good to a couple, it was going to be Zachariah and Elizabeth. And here's what the very next sentence says. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, 
we don't have enough time for me to explain how big of a deal this was. I mean, this is a big deal today. If you're trying to have kids and you can't, it's hard. It, 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 there's a lot of prayers. There's a lot of uh, grief. There's a lot of hope and not hope. And so, uh, but in this particular uh, case, it was, it was worse. Because the people believed that if you didn't have kids, God was not, not blessing you, cursing you. That you had done something wrong in order not to have kids. Now, we're not, at least at that stage, okay? We know, well, Ben, maybe science or what, what have you. But for them, this, this meant, and here they are. They're blameless. They're doing it. And meanwhile, the people behind their backs are going, I wonder what they did. Oh, they're blameless on the outside. But I wonder, I wonder what they did to deserve not having kids. And so you can imagine uh, where they were at in life. And it gets even worse. Um, It continues and says, and they were both very old. (laughs) They were helpless and hopeless. They were at a place where they had probably prayed through their 20s with a lot of of, um, hope. Like, oh, we're going to have a baby. We want to have a baby. And then it probably prayed all through that time, and then they get to their 30s. And now it's just like, man, I don't even want to pray about it anymore. I don't even want to, I, don't even, I can't even believe God is going to even do anything. And then they get to their 40s, and just that, that just sense of acceptance, and man. And then I don't know if they prayed in their 50s, but they're just like, forget it. It's not going to happen. This is where they're at. They're helpless and hopeless. Now, So here's what happens. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. So let me just explain this really quick, because if you've grown up Catholic or you've been involved in the Catholic Church, when you think of a priest, you think of of, of, uh, somebody who's at, um, you know, who, who... is the main head honcho, okay, of the church. You know, it's, it's a priest. That's kind of a big deal. And so that priest is given certain authority and all this kind of stuff. Or maybe if you, you haven't been around that, just the idea of a priest maybe feels like a pastor, like, like um, in, in charge of something. But this was not the type of priest Zechariah was. There were about 18,000 of them. Okay, and they were just basically workers to work the temple, and they worked that temple twice a year for a week at each time. There were 24 groups of them. Okay, and so what this is saying is that it was his turn. It was it would be like if you um, are in the reserves, okay, and then you you get kind of called to your duty for a week. It's 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 like that. There's there was eighteen thousand. They were in these reserves, and then their group would go in and work the temple. And there was a lot of stuff to do uh, at the temple. There were sacrifices and all these types of things. And so they they sectioned them off, and they all came from this um, from Aaron. And so it, come, it becomes time for him to do uh, his priestly duty, okay? Now, here's, this is awesome. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this was such a big deal. If you got chosen to do it, you were taken off the list to ever do it again. You would only, you literally... This would be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And many, many priests never got to do this. And so they would, they would by lot, kind of like, you know, 
with straws or what have you, somebody would be the lucky one, like winning the lotto, the incense lotto, and uh, you win. And it's an incredible, incredible honor because you are now going into the temple. Remember I said there was the court of Gentiles and then the court of women, and then you get into the temple. Now you're, you're getting, listen, they believed they were getting closer and closer to God. And so he gets chosen to do this. An, an incredible honor. Really awesome. Um, and what would happen is you'd burn the incense, and it would go up in the air, and it would represent the prayers of the people going up to God. And so people would see this incense being burned when they would be praying and worshiping around it. And so uh, it, it was pretty awesome. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So they're waiting for Zechariah to do the incense thing. I don't know about you, but I would have been so nervous not to blow it. Like, I don't know if there's, if he had instructions written down, he pulls it out, he's just like, okay, you know, but they would take these coals, these hot coals in a bowl, and you put the incense on, and it would begin to smoke. And so the, while the assembled worshipers were praying outside, you could almost hear what that would sound like. There's all these people worshiping and praying. And then this happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Whenever an angel shows up in the Bible, it's not like the little angel that shows up on the cartoon that's on your one shoulder and there's a little devil on the other shoulder. You know, where this angel's like a hummingbird and says, tells you to do the right thing or whatever. They are scary creatures. They're big and they're intimidating. And they don't make a whole bunch of small talk, okay? But one thing that all angels do, if you go to angel school, angel 101 is this. Every time you see a human, lead with do not be afraid, okay? That is angel 101, okay? And the angels don't understand. It's like, whoa, what's the big deal? We're just angels. Trust me, they're going to be scared, okay? So here's what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I love the way the Bible gets so specific. It really allows you to paint a picture in your mind. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Okay, which sounds to me to be the same thing, but apparently he was both startled and gripped with fear. So if you've ever... um, uh, been in, working in the garage or whatever, and someone walks in and you're not expecting to see them, and then you turn around and they're there. That's the startling part, okay? Um, and then you can fill in the gripped with fear part. But, but that, that's, that's what happens. So here's the angel says to him, angel 101, do not be afraid, okay? But, but right from there, I want you to see, and I hope you're going to see, the, the intimacy, the 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 personal, the way God is speaking to Zechariah. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. He calls him by his name. And, and, if, and if I told you there's going to be two things I hope you leave here with, and I hope that you can, if you're, if you're one of the people who loves Christmas and this is a happy time for you, that you have this word of encouragement to someone who's going through something tough. The first is this. God knows your name. He knows who you are. And so when he addresses you, when he sees you, he doesn't just see you as a mass of humanity or one of the Christians or one of the atheists or one of the... He knows you. 
He knows you very intimately. And so he would say, do not be afraid, John. Do not be afraid, Lisa. He speaks to Zechariah by name. This is just, and, and maybe I just was making too big a deal of it this week, but I just, I just sat on this for a long time, just going, wow, that's incredible. Then he says the second thing. Your prayer has been heard. And wouldn't you love just to hear that when you're going through something tough? Like even if, even if God says, I'm not going to answer your prayer the way you want, but I just want you to know your prayer has been heard. It's been noted. This is the second thing I want you to walk away with this week. He knows your name and he's heard your prayer. He knows what you're going through. He knows the enormity of it. Even the, he, he might even know it's going to turn out great. <laughs> he might know it's going to turn out way worse than you thought. He knows your name, and he's heard your prayer. And he loves you. And so this is what happens with, uh, with this angel. He says, your prayer has been heard. And I think about that. Think of how many prayers they must have prayed. And how much their relationship with God was dependent on, the, and, and how many times they would have had the conversation, we're doing everything right. <laughs> why, why, do, why don't we have a baby? And they, they, you can imagine just this couple going through this together. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, because that is a very spiritual and wonderful name. And so... Uh, <laughs> You're going to call him that. Okay. Right. It's in the original Greek. Uh, you have to go to school to see it. Um, so, so he's talking about John the Baptist. Just spoiler alert. Okay. Now, I don't know how you think of John the Baptist. Like, if you've ever painted a picture in your mind or you've read what's in the Bible and then you, you try to... So, so to me, John the Baptist, I picture a serial killer. Uh, like just all, you know, bearded and hair a mess and just weird looking, uh, that lives out in the desert that has a robe made of like camel's hair. So he's constantly itchy, you know, I don't know, but, uh, eats weird stuff. I just, I just picture, to be honest, I just picture somebody weird. Like I picture John the Baptist as weird. Now I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Like I said, this, this language in here is very personal. To Zechariah and to Elizabeth. So if I had to, and and John the Baptist's calling was very clear. You usher in the Messiah. That's that's what you do. Okay? But watch how the angel describes John the Baptist to his dad. He will be a joy and delight to you. You know, Sometimes we think when God moves that it's for his own thing and he's got his thing. And, and he does. He's powerful and awesome and omniscient. And I can't, my brain explodes if I try to think about all the things he is. But think about this. God is ushering in a new kingdom with Jesus. Okay? Kind of a big deal. And what does the angel say to John the Baptist's dad? You're going to love this kid. Like, like, like his, 
Like, like you can imagine little John the Baptist tearing around the house, you know, and, and his parents just being like, that every time they see John the Baptist, there's this, there's this thing of like, God answered our prayers. He heard us. And so the, the, the very existence of this kid is a joy and a delight to them. I, I just, for some reason, th- this whole interaction with the angel just really hit me this week. And then he goes on, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. See, now this is where I think he would just, this is where I'd normally think he'd just start, but he doesn't. He, he includes that personal language. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or, or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, even before he was born. Now listen to this. Listen to how he talks to the heart of Zechariah, a priest who would go into the temple, who offered this incense. This was a big deal. They were righteous and blameless. And listen to the language he uses. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Remember how I said the Babylonians took over and then the Persians took over and then the Greeks took over and then Rome took over. While that was happening, the, the, the group of Israelites who actually followed being Jewish would just get smaller and smaller and smaller. Because what was the point? If God is silent, he must be absent. And so, so you can imagine this priest Zechariah going, this is going to be awesome. My son is going to usher back in. And again, he only has one frame of reference. So he thinks in terms of Israel is going to become a great nation again, right? And so he says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Again, we can't understand this, but, but, uh, but it, for Zechariah, Elijah was like one of the heroes. Like he was, he was just awesome. So it, I don't know what, would, what, what for you it would be, but it would be like, for me, it would be like, you know, he will be like Tom Brady, something like that. Okay. Um, and uh, so to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zechariah does exactly what you or I would do. Are you serious? Watch what he says. Zechariah asks the Lord. Now, this is a very, it's an honest question. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And then look how diplomatic he is. And my wife is, well along in years, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I, love, I love it. Zechariah loved his wife, okay? Even when he's talking to an angel, it's like, I wouldn't say she's old, <laughs> you know? Anyway, um, so he says, how can you be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is, is, is also hurting a little bit. I love angels, uh, uh, Gabriel's answer, because you can imagine from his perspective, he's like, the whole point is that I'm here. Like, how can you be sure I'm standing here, right? Which is exactly what he says. This is his answer. How, how, how can I be sure? I am Gabriel. <laughs> like, I'm kind of a big deal, okay? Okay? And then he goes on. I stand in the presence of God. Like, and look at this. And so he says it to him, and, and I've been sent to speak to you. And tell you this good news. Now, I don't know if God had given Gabriel instructions earlier. Like, now, if he asks you a question, I want you to zap him, okay? Because I'm, not, I'm, I'm tired of this, right? Or if Gabriel just made up this on his own, who knows? But he says this, and now you will be silent 
and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. Now listen to this. This is so key. Which will come true at their appointed time. I heard your prayer and there's an appointed time. That gap between prayer and appointed time is where we find our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Where we pray and we say, God, I, I, I want healing in this situation. I want, um, I want this marriage to be healed. I want uh, someone in my family to be healed. I, we, we need to get out of this financial problem. That's the prayer. And then there's this appointed time. And that gap, isn't it hard to live in that gap? I mean, don't we want it to be just like a, a vending machine where we go to God and we look down the line and we go, uh, I need some healing. Oh, that's D7. And you press it and the little thing curls out and it's like, oh, I got my healing. I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? But for some reason, God in his sovereignty is comfortable between prayer and appointed time. Like he was fine sitting there watching Zechariah and watching Elizabeth struggle through this. He was, just because he was silent doesn't mean he was absent. He was there. And so, uh, so he says, um, you, won't be, you won't be able to speak well, this, uh, well, until this happens, okay? And so now, you know, if, if you're reading the story, you're, you're going, what about all those people who were outside? Well, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. I don't know how they realized that, but they did. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. The Bible, you guys got to read your Bible. There's so much humor in the Bible. It's awesome. How do you make a sign for, I just saw an angel? <laughs> Like, are you like, are you like, come out like this? Or, you know, like, like, what do you do? What are the signs you do to say, oh, I just saw an angel. We're going to have a baby, by the way. And, and like, what is the sign for that? But that's what he was doing. He was making signs. Maybe he was drawing in the, in the thing, but he still remained unable to speak. You know, it's like charades. They're like, you saw a bird? No, an angel. Uh, and so uh, it says this. This is awesome. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Can you imagine what that conversation would have been like or where he can't talk and he's trying to explain to his wife that they need to have sex as soon as possible? <laughs> because an angel... Can you imagine what Elizabeth is like? like this is the saddest day of your life. Is that what you were thinking about when you were at the temple? Really? Before God, that's what was on your mind. Really good. Good job. Right? And he's trying to explain. No, an angel. Trust me. An angel said we should have sex. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, guys, it doesn't work. Trust me. Um, sorry for the single people out there. I just make a joke. That just must have gone crazy. Like, how, how, how did you do that? And then, and then all of a sudden, she begins to believe, and it's like, there might be a chance that God might actually be answering our prayers after all this time. And, and, and maybe there's a sense of, of, wow, could this really be true? The reason I believe that, the reason why I think that's exactly what happened, is that Elizabeth just sat with this, this thing of, do I risk again? Do I, do I risk believing in God one more time? is this next verse. 
After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. This, this tells me so much about where they're at as a couple. This might not have been the first time she's gotten pregnant. She might have lost some babies and felt that just devastating pain, especially even not having one or having the people say things to her or give her advice or have you tried this, or have you tried that, all the things that happen now or, or people who say they feel sorry for you, but you, you know they can't understand what you're going through. You, you know they can't understand it and, and, unless they've walked in those shoes. And so for five months, she sits in seclusion going, could this really be happening? Some of you might be in that spot right now where you're just in a spot where you're afraid to risk because you just don't know if God's going to come through for you. You're afraid to believe. And here's what I'm here to tell you. He knows your name and he's heard your prayer. And yes, you might be in that spot between prayer and a point of time. And, and, and that is a tough spot. And we've all been in places like that where, where we've even cried out to God. And thank, thank the Lord he didn't help make us not be able to speak for nine months or what, what, what have you. When we've asked God these questions like where have you been or where are you now or why, why, why is this happening? And yet in that spot, God is not absent. He says, I, I've heard your prayer. He calls you by name. And I would just encourage you to continue to risk, to continue to believe, to continue to make those steps forward because God is faithful. And so five months uh, go by, and here's, here's what happens. I, I guess at five months for Elizabeth, maybe that's the longer she, longest she'd ever gone in a pregnancy or, or what have you, or they're just, it just felt like, okay, this is going to happen. Look what she says. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Gives you so much insight to what Elizabeth was going through during that whole process, that feeling of shame and disgrace. In that particular culture, the woman was always blamed for for not being able to have kids. It was never the man's fault. And so there was just this this weight of shame. And uh, as we kind of close up, I wanted to leave you with one last uh, couple verses because this is going to set us up for next week. Right after this, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. It was a busy month for Gabriel, by the way. Uh, It's like another business trip. (laughs) The town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and we'll pick up on her... uh, next week. We're going to take a couple minutes of just quiet time. Um, and we're doing this on purpose uh, for a couple of reasons. One, for some of you, it's like this is a deep breath before a very hectic <laughs> next few weeks. Um, and so what I wanted to do was just actually be able to take a little bit of time to just exhale and <laughs> to just go, Okay, you know, here we go. And maybe to connect with God in a way that will carry you through the next few weeks of being able to really put our focus on Jesus in the, in the coming weeks. But the other thing I wanted to do during this time of silence 
was for you to maybe connect with the fact that he does know your name and he has heard your prayer. And so maybe for you, you want to say, God, thank you for hearing my prayer. It hasn't always felt like that. I felt alone or whatever. But you connect to God in a really meaningful way. Maybe you say your name just under your breath and imagining that your Heavenly Father would be saying that to you as well. And so, uh, and then the third thing I'd love for you to do is connect. Uh, if you're in that place of just no hope, or you're in a place where you feel like you've been praying for months and months and months, and it feels like God isn't listening to you, at this time, maybe you would just hear God's voice say, I'm here, I'll never, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so we'll take a couple minutes, and then Ajo's going to sing a song, and then I'll come back up and, and bless us. Lord God, as we just enter into a time of quiet, and I pray that uh, the thing we can quiet down the most is just our minds, just racing with all sorts of things that we need to do. And um, even as we leave here, we might be thinking about chores or, or trying to get... Uh, connected with people or what have you. But Lord, I just pray during this time we would connect with you in a really meaningful way, that we would know that you're not absent and that you know us by name and you've heard our prayer. So we offer those prayers to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.